Hello and welcome to Think About Eurovision, a Eurovision podcast with me, Chris, a Eurovision fanatic. And me, Kim, a Eurovision novice. Today we're going to be talking about the 2020 Netflix movie, the Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. I'm really proud I got that out this time. <laughs> I'm impressed, Chris. I don't think I could have gotten that in one take. <laughs> it, it really is a mouthful of a title. It is. Uh, so, I mean, I would just like to start off by saying that I am now fully invested in Eurovision. Before this movie, I had no idea. I still don't know what the contest is like, but after watching this movie, consider my interest peaked. The fact that you're interested warms my cold, dead heart. <laughs> As a Eurovision uh, fanatic, you probably have some opinions about this movie that I would have missed entirely. But as someone who is completely unfamiliar with Eurovision, I knew only as much about Eurovision as to know that it is a real contest, that this wasn't some sort of spoof that was made up for the movie. But beyond that, I knew nothing. So just based on the movie itself, I thought it was fun and entertaining. But you probably have some different opinions, knowing what you do about Eurovision. What did you think, Chris? I definitely have opinions. I, I mean, <laughs> I, th- I think the long, the, the short, long story short is, I love it. Yay! But they got so much wrong. <laughs> but the heart and soul of Eurovision was absolutely there. Oh, good. You know what? The biggest thing that I have learned that I'm starting to learn as I as I find out more about Eurovision is that, um, you know, obviously I have watched Will Ferrell movies before and they're all sort of like really goofy, silly comedies that are sort of over the top in in their characters are all like very extreme in their, you know, goofiness and silliness. And so I really thought that a lot of the kind of over the topness that was presented in the movie was just a classic Will Ferrell movie. But I think I'm learning that Eurovision is itself a pretty over the top spectacle that, <laughs> that is no, really no, fun totally to understated. Yeah, is it? <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, when Chris and I met for the first time and uh, listeners, if you have not heard our preview, FYI, Chris and I have never met in person. I am Canadian uh, and, uh, and Chris is from the UK so we met via Reddit as podcasters looking for co-hosts. And so this worked out perfectly because I don't know anything about Eurovision. But when we met for the first time just to have our initial chat, I remember saying to Chris, like, that can't be that can't be a real representation of what the Eurovision song contest is really like. Right. That has to be an over the top version. And Chris was like, nope. <laughs> no way. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, yeah, uh, Eurovision is mad and wild, and it's why I love it. Um, I mean, if it is anything like what's presented in the movie, like, I can't wait to have my socks blown off with, like, the caliber of the outrageousness and spectacle of the performances. So that's exciting. I am excited to, like, get into the, you know, the biweekly chats that we have planned to introduce me to the world of Eurovision. Hashtag no spoilers, but I really can't wait for the first year I've got picked out. There's a real, there's some I'm gonna have to avoid talking about in too much detail in the Eurovision film because it links into the first year we're gonna cover. Right. And I've got to really bite my tongue on mentioning it when we come to that. <laughs> well, if you if you squeak out a spoiler, I'm sure there's gonna be so much for me to watch that I won't oh, yeah. <laughs> I won't necessarily <laughs> remember that one particular detail. So does it make sense, Chris? Why don't we uh why don't we just get started launching into our thoughts on on the movie? I think generally speaking, we both enjoyed it, though we have different perspectives on the Eurovision aspect. Yeah. So I mean, why don't we start by uh, by talking about how Eurovision was presented in the movie? Did you find that it was an accurate or inaccurate representation? I think I know your answer. <laughs> yeah. So if we're talking strictly about the facts of the, of the um, film, they got a fair bit wrong. Um, let me go to a page I've marked as criti- Chris's Critical Corner. Oh. in my book, which is uh, the most obscure reference to The Simpsons I could think of. Um, <laughs> if you think of a crusty comedy classics. 
<laughs> Perfect. Um, so when we actually think about the actual contest that they have in the film, when you see the semi-final, there's a lot of factual inaccuracies there. Is there? So Graham Norton, for a start, let's start with him. He doesn't commentate for the UK for the semi-final. Oh, okay. No, so in the UK we have Rylan, uh, Rylan Clark Neal, who came to fame, I think, on one of the sort of singing contests. Like it was either not Fame Academy. What the? See, I don't watch reality television. It's someone <laughs> like that. It wasn't Britain's Got Talent. It wasn't Fame Academy. Um, it could have been one of the other ones. Pop stars. I'd, I'm not really sure. Sure. <laughs> but he came fame through that, and we also have Scott Mills, who is a Radio One DJ. So they commentate the semi-finals, and then Graham Norton rocks along. He commentates on the actual final show. Ah, gotcha. So, yeah. I mean, I, as a uh, you know, as a Canadian, I am familiar with Graham Norton, but not familiar with the other two. So, no. um, yeah, I guess it makes sense they took the uh, the biggest name to <laughs> yeah, you know, to I, commentate I, in the movie. I definitely have opinions about Graham Norton, but I'll keep them to myself for now. Oh, do you? Is there tea? Do you have? Is, He's just not a... He says he's a Eurovision fan, and I don't think he is. I think... Oh. <laughs> I think he wants to be there to sort of belittle the contest at times. I oh. would much prefer have a, a commentator who loves the show, like Rylan, and, you know, they compliment the acts, and they obviously be funny with it, but sometimes he's um, comedy. He snarky? So, yeah, it goes into snark and meanness oh. at times. I will so keep I would... my eye out for that to give you opinions as I watch to see if I feel like he's being un unfairly snarky. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, most of the episodes, the ones I've pulled, don't have him commentating because I'm trying to keep it as clean as possible. But there's going to be some that are going to have him as commentary in the background. Okay. Good to know. Um, the, the biggest mistake they made was the voting the, the, via points. Because okay. in the semi-final, go on. Uh, so I was going to ask, can you can you sort of outline the way that they did it in the movie, but then tell me the way that it should have been done? So, yes, yeah, certainly. So in the movie, um, they had so they had the um, spokespeople come on and say, our eight points goes to this country, our ten goes to this country, and our twelve points goes to this country. I mean, that's wrong as a start because what happens um, firstly in the semi-finals is no points are awarded. They only announced the ten countries who made it through to the final, because it oh. keeps everyone on a level playing field. If somebody knows, for example, um, Switzerland got two hundred and thirty-seven points and they came first from that semi-final, they might be the favourites to win the actual final. Mm-hmm. So they just keep it completely fair. They just ra- announce in a random order who's won, who's so going through to the points- final. Those points are awarded in the background somewhere. We just yeah. don't see how they're allocated. Not until after the um, grand final. Yeah. yeah. Well, I do see why they did it this way. It, it creates some drama in the movie exactly. to, um, to you know, see the points awarded and more and more going to Iceland. Yes. Um, but yeah, okay, good to know. So it, in, in the actual final of Eurovision, that's when the points awarding does sort of follow that format. However... They missed all the points from one to seven. Oh, so I just points are awarded from one to eight. seven, eight, <laughs> ten, and twelve. One through seven, eight, ten, and twelve. Those yeah. are the points that are awarded, and the every country that's system. participating, every p- country that's participating has those points to award, but they exactly. cannot they cannot award any to their own country. That's exactly right. Yes, and they have a judging panel that like that awards yes. those points. So again, now, we, so those points. The uh, 1 through to 7, 8, 10, and 12 are now, and it has changed, but at the moment, the way it's done is those points are awarded by the national jury. And then I'm not quite sure on the fine details of it because it's all kind of lumped together. Uh, I think it is actually the same, but it's um, all then they have the televote, which is separate. So that's when people have phoned up. Oh, I see. And again, those sort of phone calls are aggregated into 1 through to 7, 8, 10, and 12. But they will then, once they've got all the jury points in, they then go to the televote points. And they will say, they'll start, um, I think it's from the country who got the, f- the smallest amount of 
jury points, they announce their televotes points first for drama. And it has caused drama in the past as well. <laughs> I imagine. Um, okay, but, here's a movie-related question. Yep. So we don't actually see who wins, but I think that ultimately we're to assume that Alexander won Eurovision in the movie. Would you say? I think that's what's led to uh, sort of insinuate. I think Alexander Lemtov is deluded. <laughs> really? I <laughs> mean, I think not that, that good. It, I no, I think that it lends to the silliness, though, that like this. This guy who, you know, has what I found to be the most outrageous and silliest performance is like the far and away front runner. Here's a tidbit, actually, that I learned about this is that um, uh, Dan, remind me, Stevens. Dan? (laughs) Dan Stevens, who played Alexander, he was actually intended to do his own singing. And what was actually used in the movie was a temporary, what was intended to be a temporary stand-in, who was a Swedish uh, baritone. And um, coronavirus hit, and they were not actually able to get back into the studio to get um, Dan Stevens to do his own singing. Because he is uh, himself, I mean... He is someone who, he's an actor who sings. He's, you know, he's not a singer per se, but he sang in Beauty and the Beast, like he has a voice. So, uh, so yeah, it actually kind of lends a little bit of extra silliness, in my opinion, that it's this voice that, that ends up being the one that's like far and away the, the front runner. But, um, but ultimately, I took that to be insinuated that he would be the, the winner. He seemed very confident in the film that he was going to win, didn't he? Right, yeah. And then, um, so if Katarina, Iceland's first pick, if she had actually made it to the contest, do you think she would have won based on the performances we saw in the movie? No. It was one of my least favorite songs. (laughs) I didn't love that one either. So out of the performances we saw, like who would you, who would have been your pick for the winner? Uh, Probably Mita. Is she the, the one uh, from Greece? For Greece, yeah. I yeah, love that she song. Was good. It touches on like dark cabaret kind of vibe, uh, like Amanda Palmer kind of. With, yeah, like, I loved it. The... I thought it was sexy. I thought it was fun. I thought it was entertaining. I was also really intrigued by the like crazy monster costume one. Oh, yeah. Um, they Now, interesting fact about them I found out. Let me just it to, uh, Let me just find it. So. They are a so the band who play that 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 act, um, Moonfang, the, the band in the film's called for, yeah. uh, for Belarus, their song "Running with the Wolves," portrayed by a London-based ska band called Bogus oh, Man. They're a real band. So sort of, basically, there's two real bands from London that I'm aware of in the film. So Moonfang, the monster band. They're portrayed um, by an actual band acting as a different band mm-hmm. um, in the costumes. So usually they'll be playing ska, dub, rock music. I've listened to them. It's really my cup of tea. Is my musical taste is musical theatre, Eurovision, and ska. So to find a ska band performing in a Eurovision film, I love. So they're, they're, <laughs> That's they're right actual music. I since discovering this, I've really got hooked on listening to them. Um, they're really good. Have it's you? Right up my street, yeah. Okay, here is another question. This might be a stupid question, but I'm just going to ask it. I am here to ask the stupid questions that other people who don't know anything about Eurovision <laughs> might be asking. Um, is Yeah Yeah Ding Dong a real song? <laughs> I mean, it is now. It is it now, but <laughs> it wasn't before. Okay, I didn't know, like, is this an inside joke? Is this was some kind of, like, is this a past Eurovision song? It's or not so much some... a past Eurovision song, but it's definitely pastiche of Eurovision songs of yore. So it's in the Schlager style. Now, my pronunciation might be, may be terrible, but I believe it's pronounced Schlager. And it's kind of like this sort of beer hall sort of umpar kind of music that was popular in the 70s in Eurovision um quite camp um, and like a call and response type thing yeah. where the audience participates on the singing yeah okay so not it's a real song now that I feel like has <laughs> gained popularity but even uh, I've done a cover of it 
Have you? Yeah. Are you going to play that on? Are you going to share that with us on the podcast at some point? Uh, it will be in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited for that. Um, oh, my God. Amazing. And so, like, have you been just killing the soundtrack, too? Have you been listening to the movie soundtrack? Because it's available on Spotify, FYI, for anyone who has not looked. Yes, I have been listening to it a lot. Um, you know who I'm trying to find out? who who they are so you know when um sigrid and lars go to the icelandic nationals that's where everybody blows up in a boat and like uh, by default they end up going to eurovision so there are three performances that are featured aside from uh fire saga so there is the first one that was sort of like a viking 21st century viking is that what he, he is that's yeah, his, his his stage name on that is 21st Century Viking, and that is a nod to a Eurovision act from 2018, Rasmussen, who oh, sent really? a song called Higher Ground. I love um, Rasmussen, Higher Ground. is a brilliant song, so we're definitely going to be doing 2018 at some point. But it's a song about a pacifist Viking. Oh my god, amazing. I really yeah. want to look at that immediately, but should I wait until... I think we... you should wait, because it's Okay, I'll wait. Oh, the anticipation, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> um, okay, 21st Century Viking was the first, and then I, I the should, second... Before we move on to the second one, I should also point out, it's a real song. That song oh. is uh, by an artist called Carl Zine, or Zine, I'm not sure pronunciation, and the song's called Brand New. It's a bop. Oh, that it's is a bop. bop. Yeah, I loved these um, these two songs. The first one, 21st Century Viking, the the, uh, the bop we just discussed. And then the second one that was really kind of like a folky, you know, man and woman. I mean, you're rolling your eyes, but this was my favorite <laughs> song. <laughs> there's, there's been so many sort of duets on Eurovision where the man and the woman just gawp into each other's faces sickeningly. <laughs> Oh my God, the folky, that is my jam though. Like, and a la-di-da-di-da-di-da bit. Yes, that is, that is like really, I was like, who are these people? I will listen to them immediately. Do you have a name for them? I don't, I'm afraid, no. I couldn't I'm, find them either. I'm going to guess given his, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping we're prosthetic teeth at the front. I'm really <laughs> hoping, I'm not just insulting somebody, um, but I, I'm, I'm hoping that that was just a made up song and actors. <laughs> I don't know. Well, if uh, if any of our listeners happen to have like insight into who these people are and what that song is, I really want to listen to it. That is, I listen to mostly sort of low key, folky type stuff, so that is like right up my alley. Um, and I think that's kind of like a Monsters and Men type of, you know, they're an Icelandic band. They are a man and woman duo, so maybe something sort of like similar is what they're representing there um but i loved them and then um katarina who of course is portrayed by demi lovato her song i didn't love that much it it you know it felt kind of generic pop to me exactly you can't deny she's got a voice on her though oh great great set of pipes but nothing special but what I have read, the the little that I have read about Eurovision and based on our discussions, because I'm trying not to familiarize myself too much in advance, but from what I, am, I have heard and read is that Eurovision is about more than just like the quality of the voice. It's about the full presentation. It's about the props. It's about the, you know, stage presence. It's like there is so much more than just yeah. a good voice to it. It's the quality of a song, not necessarily the singer and their voice. And so the songs, uh, the songs are not necessarily written by the performer, right? No, 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 always. They have to be written by the country that's being represented. Uh, is there any rules around the song itself and the selection of the song? Might put that into um, maybe a front matter for our next episode. I will look into that because even even at my sort of stage of loving Eurovision, having followed it for ages, I'm not sure I can answer that right now. No, fair enough. I'm really there's kind so of just mu- there's throwing so many rules <laughs> off the top. It, it, there is a lot to the rules I'm learning and that it is a very sort of intricate contest. And it's been so long, long standing. You told me the year last time, 1950 something. Yeah. So I got you wrong. And when I was speaking with you, I said 1957. The first one was 1956. Right. 
So I imagine that it's sort of evolved over time. The rules might have changed somewhat. So yeah, yeah sometimes uh, if I'm just throwing out really obscure deep cut questions, we'll just parking lot those and come <laughs> back in a future episode. But... Yeah, definitely. Um, like, I mean, some of the rules, they've, they've past contestants have forced rules, rule changes. So when we come to 1957, which we are doing, mm. uh, we'll be discussing one of the biggest rules of Eurovision, which is a three minute song length. But we'll leave that until then. Okay, good enough. But like, in generally speaking, could could you and I in our basement write a song and submit it to our, you know, country's national level selection? Like anyone can enter and you just have to be selected as you go until you work up and up to Eurovision. But it can be, it can be anyone from that country who wants to enter? That's correct, yeah. Um, it's my dream. I'd love to do it. I'm just not a good enough songwriter. <laughs> There's still time. If Lars can do it, you can do it, Chris. <laughs> All we need is a boat disaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Too funny. Um, okay. Any more uh, tidbits that I might have missed as a Eurovision novice? All right, let's have a look through my notes. What about um, past Eurovision contestants that that were featured? I know there were some, but I don't, I don't know any of them. So, yeah, so there's in that you know the song along part of the film. That was one of my favorite parts of the of the whole movie. I loved it so much. That that is just absolute Eurofan fan service. So I've got a list I've written up of all the um, entrants from Eurovision's past. Um, in order as they appear. So brace yourself. Okay, I'm ready. um, We start off with uh, John Lundvik, who represented Sweden in 2019, along with Anna Odebescu. Now, my pronunciation could be off there, um, who also, she represented in 2019 for Moldova. And then they're joined by Bilal Hassani, who represented France in 2019. Is she the one with like the sexy deep cut um, like dress and she's walking down the stairs. No, Bilal Hassani's the um young lad with like blonde hair and specs on. Yes. Okay, yeah. got it. The woman w- coming down the stairs that's Lorene. So she represented Sweden in 2012. Mm-hmm. And then halfway down the stairs, she's joined by Jesse Matador, who represented France in 2010. Then you get the guy on the violin, Alexander Ryback, who represented Norway in 2009, and again, and I haven't made a note of the year. Um, I can't stand him. <laughs> oh, why? Tell spill, spill, spill. He just always shows up with his violin, and I hate him for it. So does he only play, or does he play and sing? He's How do you a, sing he and play and sing. He plays and sings, uh, just not very often at the same time. So he'll sort oh. of play like the fiddle bit, and then he'll sing. Um, but yeah, he's represented Norway twice. So he shows up with a violin and it's like the guy who comes to a party with an acoustic guitar. Oh, he is absolutely that guy. <laughs> yes. The the guy who like breaks out his acoustic guitar at the party and the vibe is just suddenly like, oh, oh God. Not we that have to... guy again. Yes. We <laughs> all have to sit here silently and listen to your original works. Like, <laughs> we so don't want o- it. Not only has he represented Norway twice, he's also shown up in a halftime act. At one of the Eurovisions, but it is oh. the best halftime performance of all time from all Eurovisions. But again, okay, well, so he does a good job. Yeah. Um, so after that, we've got Jamala, who represented Ukraine in 2016. Um, I'm not even going to pr- try pronouncing her surname, uh, but Alina or Alina, I'm not sure. Uh, Estonia in 2018, and then you have Conchita um, Verst, uh, the bearded drag performer. Yes, this was the only performer that I recognized. You know Conchita? I don't know her. So I did look this up. So uh, he goes by he, him pronouns when not in drag and um, her pronouns when in drag. So I will refer to her as her. Uh, So I knew um, of her only from seeing on YouTube that there was a clip of her performance. but I thought it was America's Got Talent or something. I didn't know that it was Eurovision. Um, so, yes, I could not name the song that she sang. I don't know anything about her, but I did recognize her because she is very memorable. Yes. And um, out of drag, I think uh, his name is Thomas, I remember, if I remember rightly. Okay. 
Um, but he does now perform just under the name Verst as well. Oh, he does? Yes. In drag? Or um, so there's still Conchita as his drag performance and then Verst as a separate one? I think that's basically it. Um, I think kind of Conchita is in his past, but obviously oh. more than happy to go Conchita for the sake of the film, you know, or promotional sort of materials and stuff like that. It's not like I don't do Conchita anymore. It's just that's behind me. I'm now versed. And he does really cool, um, like proper trendy music. Not for people like me, but I can appreciate it. it's like it's trendy kid music. Gotcha. <laughs> so this is so these are all well-known performers Most by of them. Eurovision fans. Most of them. I mean, I had to look up Jesse Matador for France. I didn't remember him at all. Oh, really? Okay. Because <laughs> yeah, that was, was like, actually... that guy? <laughs> it was another question that I had, because in our uh, quick sort of get-to-know-you Eurovision discussion... <laughs> Thank you for using my terrible pun. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, uh, so we did talk about some of the, um, you know, bigger names, at least ones that I might know. Celine Dion, not Justin Bieber from Canada. <laughs> Uh, and then also, also ABBA, who was featured prominently in the movie. So there are big names that even a non-Eurovision fan might know. But uh, but these particular uh, contestants, past contestants, I didn't know any of them. So they're kind of a Eurovision name, but not an international name. Exactly. Uh, whilst you mentioned um, ABBA at the beginning of the film, mm. Iceland didn't broadcast the Eurovision Song Contest until 1983. So they would have been watching. I mean, the year 1983 would make so much more sense because if this was in 1974, then like Sigrid would be in her 50s. Yeah. The the math does not add up. So that was a question that I had for you was like, did they choose 1974 simply because that was the year that ABBA won? That's exactly it. Yeah. So it was 1983. They first broadcast the contest and they didn't join it until 1986. Well, I don't understand the the dates that they've used in the movie. Then it makes no sense. Because if Sigrid is supposed to be like in her 50s, then, <laughs> then they have cast weirdly. Because yeah. Rachel McAdams, I think, is like 38. <laughs> I know. I mean, I was dis- surprised to discover she was 24 when she was in Mean Girls. I know. The range. The range on her. She was like, <laughs> she was in Mean Girls and she was in The Notebook, I think, in the, in the same year. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, Canadian icon Rachel McAdams we love her indeed (laughs) Uh, another thing whilst we're talking about that year in that far back in um, Iceland they wouldn't have been drinking beer as well in 1974 or if they did it would have been homebrew but that didn't look like homebrew beer because strong beer was outlawed in until 1989 so it couldn't be over 2.5% until 1989 they had prohibition laws on My beer God. yeah but uh, they could have um, spirits <laughs> and wine because of the french and portuguese i believe um, well at they, least they, they could have something to, <laughs> yeah they refused to take their cod unless they could export their wines wow i did not know this that is a deep cut chris <laughs> every day is a school day <laughs> Well, as long as they could have something. But um, <laughs> there was definitely beer in this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so so what what would you say was like your favorite part of the movie, Chris? Um, I mean, the song along was way up there. Because like I said, it was absolute fan service. Yeah. But if I try and put away like aside to sort of Eurovision cameos. It's... It's got to be Ya Ya Ding Dong. All I want to hear is Ya Ya Ding Dong. <laughs> really? I definitely <laughs> yeah. think that that was, that was a fan favorite. I have seen a lot of reference to Ya Ya Ding Dong on tic- on uh, Twitter and, uh, you know, like all the com- yeah. comments and message boards about the movie. That is like prominently I've, featured. I've even heard reports that it's actually getting uh, airplay on Icelandic radio. Come on. <laughs> That is too funny. So my favorite parts were the song along. I loved that. Even as a, even not knowing who these people were, I I still really loved that part. And then um, I have this weird, like, I'm, I'm sure there are many, many others who have this response to music, but I get really like teary eyed when I, it, you know, when there's a really like impactful musical moment. Yeah. So uh, I recently saw, um, well, last year I was in London and I saw um, The Lion King 
And uh, there were two parts in that movie on this like live musical theater that I just like started crying in they the live middle in you? of the audience. What's that? Was it They Live in You? Um, I don't know. So one oh. part, I can't remember. One part was when um, they were running from the wildebeests. I don't know. I just like, I found it really impactful. And then I think it was at the end, like the big finale song. So when was, when was We Live In You in the... Um, uh, I've only heard it on the soundtrack, They Live In You, because it didn't, wasn't in the actual film or it was in The Lion King 2, which I've not seen since I was a kid. Yeah. But listening to the soundtrack, uh, They Live In You is an absolute powerhouse of a song. And it's like, it, it's... Uh, you know, hairs on the end, on the back of my spine. Sort of yes, on end exactly. Kind of moment. That is exactly the reaction that I'm talking about. So when Sigrid, um, she sang her original song at the end, <laughs> I literally like started crying. So that was my, that was my other um, favorite moment was the moment when they won the hearts of, of, you know, everyone watching, everyone in the audience. I just like, <laughs> like full cry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I watched the film for the sixth time last night. Wow. I mean, I'm not bored of it. And, it, you know, that was just like a note taking exercise that sort of last time of watching, but I still really enjoyed it. Uh, but even then, when she um, starts singing Husavik, what a song. I've got to be honest, it. if that was an actual song in the contest, I think it would win in any given year. Yeah, secondly, I mean, it's so disappointing that they got disqualified, which I assume is real rules. Yeah. Um, before I move on to that second point, again, one of the technical problems of a film wouldn't happen. That piano wouldn't have been plugged in. Oh, do yeah. they lip sync? They don't lip sync. The singing is always live, but the music nowadays, it used to be an orchestra. But in the modern contest, it's all pre-recorded music. Um, so up until next year, all backing vocals and all lead vocals um, are sung live, uh, whether the backing vocalist is on or off stage. Mm-hmm. And they're allowed six people on stage total. But you can also have six people on stage and two backing vocalists off stage. Um, but next year, because of um, COVID-19, they have amended the rules to allow for teams to travel, the delegation teams to be smaller, save on costs for the um, host and also the countries competing. Mm-hmm. So we're actually being allowed to re- pre-record backing vocals. Oh, wow. Okay. But anything involved in the lead line has to be sung live. Well, that will be interesting to see if there's any kind of sort of change in the way it sounds the presentation with the pre-recorded background vocals yeah. next year but oh, oh, i was about to say as well i think that song um Husavik, at the bare minimum should get a nomination for best original song at the oscars next year agreed i loved it so much and now rachel mcadams although i think that she has a voice on her too she is not singing this is another swedish singer yeah. do you know um, the name i, I my marianne i think Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, my God, the voice on her. And I mean, as much as I um, recognize that Demi Lovato, for instance, has an incredible voice on her. This just felt it felt more passionate, like raw. It just like hit me. And um, the song itself was really, really beautiful. I agree. I hope that there's a nomination there. It's because she hit the Spjork note. The Spjork note, she did it. <laughs> I'm really good um, that that's not a real thing. That is not a real thing. I looked it up. I was like, is that a real thing? Tap, 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 tap. No, it's not. <laughs> well, I mean, it is now. I feel like yeah. it has uh, entered the zeitgeist. It's from this day forward when someone hits like the perfect note, people are going to be like, Spjork note, they did it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that was my favorite moment for sure. And then, of course, I just like, in addition to the Eurovision aspect, this was a fun, silly, classic Will Ferrell mo- movie. He was oh, yeah. very funny. I did. I loved him yelling at the Americans. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> so what else uh, um, should we talk about on the the Will Ferrell Eurovision movie? One thing I really want to bring up is that semi-final performance where it all goes wrong. 
Oh yeah. Okay. That that hurt because it did. that's I've never been to see Eurovision live, sadly. But in my heart of hearts, we wouldn't. I don't think Eurovision fans would react like that. Um, there wouldn't be that silence and people laughing. The no. fact that they got back on stage and carried on, they probably had the biggest applause and cheers of the night. Yes, there was a real delayed reaction because they did ultimately start cheering. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it took a while for them to, to get there. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, it wouldn't even been broadcast like that because um, Eurovision has, uh, it has two semifinals and a final now. Mm-hmm. But in, in total, there are six shows that people can buy tickets for because they have the jury semifinals. So the, the, the uh, national juries don't vote on what the pub viewing public see. Mm-hmm. They vote on one that's, I think it's filmed the day before, if I remember rightly. So right, the day, okay. so on, I'm assuming this is what it is. I think it is the day before. So the Tuesday semifinal, the jury see on Monday. But they record it, and because their timings are so immaculate, and because they know when the timing for one, one song to start and finish, if, say, something went wrong, they could splice into the performance from the jury um, semi-final. Oh. So in case of a disaster like that, that's what would happen. And they would probably, and if they didn't do that, they might be given a chance to perform again at the end. So, for example, um, 2018... The UK are at Surrey. She had a stage invader who grabbed a microphone off her oh. on a stage. She was given the opportunity to perform again at the end, um, but she turned it down. Oh, she did? Yeah, she decided not to. But other acts who have had stage invaders have been given a chance to perform again, and they've taken it up. I wonder why she chose not to. That's an interesting choice. I think it was a mistake. But yeah, did she we'll do never well know. or no? She didn't do well? No. <laughs> Yeah, in retrospect, I bet she's regretting turning it down. <laughs> I mean, that brings me on to one thing as well, because, uh, you know, Alexander Lemtov says, um, when they're in the party, and he says, this is Julia J, um, who won England's Got Talent three years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, she's very good, but everybody hates the UK, so zero points. It's being held in England, well, Scotland, sorry. <laughs> it's being held in Scotland, Alexander. We won last year, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um so you take umbrage with that line <laughs> I, I do because even though we see this you know when i said about um how people in the uk say it's all political right yeah because i think uh we're a nation a nation of sore losers oh no i think the only reason we don't win is because we don't send good enough songs right loads of people will disagree with me but i think that's the main reason we don't do well Maybe not the reason we don't win, but the reason we do so poorly, I think, is because you can't be everybody's 14th favourite song and expect yes. to do well. You right. need to be the majority of people's fav- absolute favourite song. We just don't send songs that hit that spot. But yeah, um, with him saying that everybody hates the UK, so we're going to get zero points. Like, What happened to lead for the contest being held in the UK? But I have got a theory. Okay. It's possible another country, maybe a smaller country, um, like San Marino, but not San Marino because they were in the semi-final. Mm-hmm. But maybe a small country who couldn't afford to host a contest said, "We can't afford to do this. Um, we would like the BBC um, to host it in the UK," which could then explain why we've got vaguely um, mainland European hosts for the show. Right. Because usually it would be local talent. Got it. Okay, so like in the movie, they're saying the UK never does well. And yet it's being held in Scotland and Eurovision is always hosted by the prior year's winning country. That's so true. that wouldn't make sense. And then we have vaguely European hosts instead of hosts from the UK. And yeah. so ultimately the movie has done a bit of a mishmash of uh, a little bit of everything. Yeah. And I didn't notice any of it. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, this is where I know nothing about Eurovision because that all makes sense. (laughs) So question. Yep. Graham Norton 
in a slightly snarky way, uh, does say after the uh, disastrous semifinal performance that goes terribly awry, the audience then has this like kind of silent with a peppering of laughing and then followed by massive applause. And Graham Norton says, in typical Eurovision fan way, there is an an irrational response. So is that just kind of a throwaway line or is it kind of like accepted that Eurovision fans will sometimes sort of like latch on to a particular act where the judges or commentators have no idea why the audience seems to love it so much? No, that is accurate. We it all is. like that. We absolutely really? all like that. When we come to some of the uh, did not qualify files, um, bonus mini episodes that are going to be coming out uh, between main episodes, you will find some of these wonderful acts that Euro fans love, but the general public were not so keen on. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. So, I mean, because there is a component between a judging panel and also a popular vote, do you sometimes see, like, some big swings between where the points are awarded? I can't wait for you to see 2019's contest. Oh, okay. I I can't say much, but, oh, it's one of the best things ever. Okay, I'm excited. So I am going to assume that that is like a bit of a contentious year where the judging was split and it's going to be a nail biter. Yes. Um, Okay. You know that scene in The Simpsons where uh, Bart says, uh, I think he's talking about, they're talking about one of your characters. I think it's Bart talking about Milhouse and says, if you freeze at this point, you can see when his his heart broke or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of those moments. Oh, no. I bet emotions run really high. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 2019. I can't wait to get to that one. You got a while, while to wait, I'm afraid. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I've yeah. got some cracking years planned already. Oh, okay. Like, you guys, stay tuned because these sound they're going to be, they sound like they're going to be good. Um. Yeah, I was disappointed that, like, Lars, although... Obviously, it makes for good for good movie scenes. But like Lars, why do you keep fucking with the with the costumes and the props? Like, didn't you learn from from the wings malfunctioning that you shouldn't have a giant hamster wheel on the stage? Absolutely. But I guess, you know, you need to have some kind of spectacle, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's great comedy, um, those moments. Um, I mean, the bit with the hamster wheel running off a stage, um, Sigrid's scarf getting caught in it, causing the malfunctions. Yeah. But again, you know what I'm going to say, aren't you? Don't you? What? It wouldn't happen. Right. Of course. Because of it course, wouldn't happen. It would have all been planned well in advance. Um, there's definitely a, a time frame when they need to let the uh, EBU know about what props they're going to have, mm-hmm. what the stage is going to be. That's... Secret's not going to be surprised by the choreographers, uh, the choreography right. on stage. <laughs> um, but again, it's great comedy, so I'll forgive it. But obviously, very unlikely to actually happen in the real world. Yeah, fair enough. Here is another question that I had based on a conversation that we had in our preview where you shared with me that Celine Dion, um, obviously a Canadian, that she is a past winner of Eurovision when she was representing... Sweden? Switzerland. Switzerland. Uh, so the the things that I noted were when you sent me, um, you know, a, a copy of the video is that there was not much spectacle in that it was just Celine singing with her powerhouse voice without a whole lot of fanfare. It was just her singing. And the second thing is that um, she was singing in French and um, in the movie, uh, uh, Sigrid mentions that like it's a big deal that she sings in Icelandic because um, if you sing in Icelandic, you don't have a chance of winning. And so that that was my question. So are there languages that are more frequently accepted as those that would be, you know, received well in Eurovision versus others where they generally, you know, don't speak in their home language? Yeah, my gut feeling is, though I think statistically it is shown that songs sung in english do win more often at okay. least in a modern contest uh, there have been times when they could sing in any language 
And then there's been times when we could only sing in one of the official languages of that country. Oh, I see. So obviously that, that puts limits on English-speaking songs always winning. Yeah. In the modern competition, though, most winners from recent memory have been sung in English. But, I mean, when we go into like, the spectacle, um, some of the best songs have had very little in the way of props. Mm-hmm. Whereas it might be the ones that you remember with all the props and the uh, flashbangs and everything going on in the background. They're not always the ones that win. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the time, it's the powerful songs sung from the heart that do very well. Yeah, like she didn't need any props. She was exactly. just belting it out, and it was it was you know incredible. She's a diva. So. She is a diva. <laughs> Love her. Um, but with a bit in in Icelandic again, 2019, um, an act from 2019, Iceland's act, um, Hatari, sent a song called Hatred Munsigra, which is Icelandic for Hatred Will Prevail. Mm? Mm, yes, <laughs> came third. Okay. Entirely in Icelandic. Okay, well, there you go. So it, it's not going to stop an Icelandic song from winning. And honestly, um, not going to tell you too much about the song, but it's like an, uh, sort of a kind of EDM kind of touching on metal at times mm-hmm. um, song. I love it. Um, Hatred Munsigra. So again, 2019 is going to be a really good one to, to cover. Awesome. Okay, well, that's... Um, so that's... That's cool to know. That might have been something that was just sort of added to the movie to have an additional sort of impact at I feel the like end. It was, yeah, yeah. When Cigarette started singing in her native Icelandic, that it was you know a prideful moment for all the Icelanders watching. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I would say this movie is one of my uh, new favorite Will Ferrell Brilliant. movies. I do have. Uh, you know, a real place in my heart for Step Brothers. <laughs> Have you watched the Will Ferrell movie Step Brothers? I've not, no. Oh my God, it's my favorite. It's so stupid, but I love it so much. This one definitely has more heart, I think, than uh, than Step oh, yeah. Brothers. And that one has more um, silly, stupid, stupidness. But I, there is room for both. I have room in my heart for both. Yeah. Um, I mean, my favorite Will Ferrell film, always going to be Anchorman. Oh, I love Anchorman so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we just love Will Ferrell. I think we love Will Ferrell. But, He's great. Uh, yeah, this was a pleasant surprise because I really didn't know that I would like this one that much, but I did. It was awesome. And it brought us together. together exactly. So and now you're, on the, you're now you're on a slippery slope to becoming a Eurovision fan. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the journey. Yeah, I mean, now, now, because like, when it gets like at Eurovision uh, twenty twenty one, you're gonna be one of the people, uh, probably the few people in Canada watching it, aren't you? Say so, yeah. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I will. I will definitely be watching. And I did since uh, since we started um, talking about doing this podcast. I have asked a number of people, uh, obviously in Canada, who whether they were familiar with Eurovision and you know anything about it and no one no one knows anything about it and honestly I feel like that is kind of embarrassing as Canadians because um why (laughs) why why are we so unfamiliar with such a huge contest uh I guess you know we need to look outside our own borders a little bit at like the you know the big cultural events that happen outside of Canada um in this case Eurovision is entirely entirely like unknown to every Canadian that I've spoken to. So maybe we will raise some Eurovision awareness amongst Canadians. Let's hope so. I mean, this year year is going to be broadcast on Omni Television, if you're familiar with that. Mm, No. No. Yeah, so it's broadcast in Canada. um, Okay. The easiest way to watch it is on YouTube, on the Eurovision official channel. Okay, perfect. I'm glad they make it easy to watch past... Um, contestants in past episodes. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, mean, it definitely works for our podcasting purposes. Absolutely, and I've got to give credit to. Um, so when the 2020 contest was cancelled, um, a chap called Rob Holly. Uh, he is a Eurovision fan and a writer. He writes for. Um, I think he wrote for Pink News, which mm-hmm. is an LGBT news outlet. Yeah. Um, but he 
he's covered uh, Eurovision for the past few years uh, for various media outlets. And he tweeted, following the cancellation, um, basically to, just to his followers, who would be interested in watching Eurovision together this Saturday? And it snowballed from there and it became a thing called Eurovision again. So for quite a few weeks in a row on Saturdays at um, 8 o'clock, uh, when Eurovision would usually be on TV in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, people across the world uh, would watch a classic Eurovision together. Fine. And you, for the first two of them, it was all do- just done from what he could find on YouTube. And then after it was such a success, uh, the uh, Eurovision Song Contest uh, team got in touch with him and said, let us help make this a, a full official thing. We'll speak with broadcasters. We'll see what um, shows we can get that we don't already have. Amazing. So, so that is why we have some of the years that we're, we're doing as well, uh, because of the work done by Eurovision again. Yeah. So credit to Eurovision again, um, Rob, and also Ellie, who is um, part of the team behind that. And Amazing. Ellie, I'm going to give a shout out. I've ordered a poster from her with every Eurovision result ever on it. Oh, really? Yeah, She's that's going to be on above my desk. Uh, she is, yes. Oh, that I'll have to check out. I'll have to check that out. That I'll pop good. a link to her store in the show notes. And so we intend to do something relatively similar where we are going to be telling our listeners the um, the year of the contest that we are going to be chatting about in our next episode so that they can watch in advance and then come back and hear our thoughts on it when we when we uh, podcast in two weeks. So what is our what is our next episode about, Chris? So next episode, we'll be covering the 2014 Eurovision Song Contest. 2014. Okay, listeners, I am going to get brushed up on this. If you are someone like me who has not experienced Eurovision before, watch with us and then come back and uh, hear our thoughts on it. Okay, then. So shall we do some uh, post-show chat? Yes. Okay. That felt like a really nice place to leave it, I think. Okay, yeah. I think that that sounds good. So let's chat about what else is going on in our world, Chris. We've got to talk about drag race. Sorry, Canada's drag race. I have opinions. Yeah, because they can't call it Drag Race Canada. Why? Because apparently a company who do drag racing, as in the car driving, own the name uh, Drag Race Canada. (laughs) Seriously, like that type of drag racing did not even enter my head. That, <laughs> <laughs> that is just not something where my where my brain goes. Um, yeah, so Canada's Drag Race, we, there have been two episodes at the time of our uh, recording. Chris, what are your thoughts? Um, I am an absolute Jimbo stan, as is Sarah. Oh, I love Jimbo. Jimbo is is a hundred percent top tops for me as well yeah just i'm always drawn to the weirdos in drag race yes like uh you know i loved uh jinx montrese in the u.s uh monsoon monsoon yes it was also i think on the same series i think oh really you got i do i always get the names mixed up so correct me (laughs) as i go and then who is the evie oddly evie oddly she was brilliant yes she was brilliant and i love those kind of like you know oddballs um so I love Jimbo also. I will say, though, that I'm not loving the the I'm not loving the Canadian version that much. I do. I feel like the caliber of the queens is not as high as what we saw, what we see consistently in the U.S. version and what we saw in the U.K. version. I, there are a lot of newer queens in the Canadian one, which I know there's always some in in seasons, but um, I just feel like they they seem a little unseasoned. And the second thing that I really kind of kind of roll my eyes at, to be honest, is the the, the constant never ending nod to Canadianisms. It yeah. doesn't have to all be Canadian stuff. It can just be normal drag race with queens who happen to be Canadian. But I mean, it's the Canada flag. It's the Canada themes. I mean, Roots. I don't know if you're familiar with Roots. 
I'm not, no. Roots is a clothing store that is essentially all mittens, toques, and sweatpants. And that is, I mean, like, I feel like that being awarded as a prize for the, you know, for drag race, it's like, that is not your demographic. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> but I wasn't aware of this because um, in the broadcast of Sun of the UK, they've kind of edited out that because it's done on put on BBC. Oh, that was okay. product placement. So, um, They've been. They've said prizes, but we've not said the sponsor. Oh yes. Okay. Well, that was definitely something that uh, my sister and I we watched together. We commented on that. We were like, "Really, you're giving a prize of sweatpants to <laughs> the drag queens? Know, to the drag queens? That it makes no sense." Uh, and then the part of our heritage commercials that they did in episode two, they were yeah. boring. They weren't funny. The so was that like a cut, like a reference to something that's gone completely over the heads of this Brit? Yes. So it is a very Canadian centric, you know, so it's like, I really feel that a lot of the stuff that they're doing is is making this a very niche audience viewing experience, because as a Canadian, I know exactly what they're doing, but no one knows what heritage commercials are outside of Canada. So ultimately, um, so growing up, um, uh, they're, you know, there were these commercials that were intended to share a part of Canadian heritage. It was essentially like a a 60 second snippet of Canadian history. And so you learn something about Canada in the watching of these commercials. So one of them, for instance, I'm from Halifax, Nova Scotia, and there was a heritage commercial about the Halifax explosion. Uh, So that was a, um, you know, a, uh, a tragedy that occurred in Halifax where many people died and the um, the heritage commercial was about a, uh, a railroad um, operator who saved many lives by communicating that there was a bomb, uh, there was an explosion and that, uh, you know, it saved many people's lives on a train. And so that is something that the, you know, would be, would be in a commercial. Another yeah. one was about a Canadian who developed, uh, you know, a way to uh, um, determine if someone was having a seizure. And in the um, the commercial, they said, I smell burnt toast. And so in this, in the episode, the they did a talk. spoof, I smell burnt tuck. And so it's just like, it's so obscure to anyone who's not a Canadian. It makes no sense. And even as a Canadian, I didn't like the spoofs i thought they were they weren't funny they were boring <laughs> yeah they, they weren't that funny as well so because like um obviously so many american drag race references go straight over my head but i get them because they're funny if that makes right. sense whereas this went over my head and wasn't particularly that funny no um yeah i think that they're doing themselves a disservice by being very you know, committed to being in this Canadian box. Every song that they have lip synced to is Canadian. Every host, every guest host is Canadian. And don't get me wrong, I love Canada, but I don't need to see every single thing that they do as a Canadian reference. Um, I've been very busy on the Wikipedia with the guest hosts because I've not heard of any of them. (laughs) I don't even know who they are. I do know who Alicia Cuthbert is, but I did not know the most recent one. So how do you feel about this being a three panel judging instead of it being Rue? How do you feel about it being the three judges? I quite like that. Um, I quite like that it's a a democracy. So they can, you see in past cards, I like that it's not the same person announcing who's leaving. So episode one, it was Brooklyn. This time it was Jeffrey who announced who won or who'd left. I forget which way it was. Uh, Yeah, it was who'd left, who was leaving. Um, And I think uh, RuPaul obviously has his hands on this quite firmly, Mm -hmm. even though he's not on TV. Because if uh, they made Brooklyn the one host that would, and, you know, is in charge of it, Ru could be out of a job. Right, exactly. They it, did not replace like, Rue. You need three people to replace me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do. I I like the uh, the three the three panel judging. I don't like that the person who is quote unquote hosting is the pretend guest each week. Oh, do you find they tend to be rude? I actually quite no, enjoy. No, pretend to be Rue. Sorry. Oh, pretend to be Rue. Yeah, I, have I don't heard... like that. I have heard that uh, many people find the judges to be rude on the Canadian version, but I don't find that. I actually quite like that they are 
pretty straightforward in their criticism. For instance, when Kine needed, yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> she needed an ego check and they gave it to her. And yeah. I, I like that they just told her how it is. There is a fine line between confidence and ego. We suggest you find it like, oh, cutting. <laughs> I, th I think that they delivered that in a, you know, in a good diplomatic but straightforward way. I think she was so lucky to not be in the lip sync for your life uh, at the end of episode one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would have put her in there just for the attitude. Yes, the attitude on her. My God. She would have um, dropped her way through that limp sync. And you call yourself Canadian. <laughs> you're Canadian supposed, supposed to, be, to be nice. You're supposed to be nice on the front and then quietly <laughs> passive aggressive. That's what we do. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, uh,. That's, you know, those are my thoughts on on Canada's Drag Race so far. But yeah. I will say that, you know, the U.S. version, it had some growing pains in the first couple of seasons. So we'll, I mean, I'm still going to keep watching. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's Drag Race content. and Exactly. I mean, it looks like we're not going to get Drag Race UK again this year. Or if we do, it'll be maybe early next year, I think. I, I don't know what's going to happen because obviously... Rue can't come to the UK because Americans' passports are worthless at the moment. Right. They I can't actually, travel anywhere. I, I did actually wonder if the decision to have to have Rue not participate was related to travel because of the coronavirus, but it's not. It was all shot long before coronavirus Could have been last year, I'd impacted imagine. travel. Yes, yeah. So this was all, you know, this was all working out exactly as it was intended to. There weren't yeah. any derailings from coronavirus, but... Um, but yeah, I guess uh, if we're looking at a long term, who knows when travel will be business as usual again. So on the plus side, because everyone is Canadian, we would be able to potentially have seasons more quickly than uh, than we would if we were waiting for Rue to come from the States. Yeah, it's quite funny that Rue can cross the Atlantic Ocean, but can't go across the border. I know borders shut down tight. <laughs> you know, even the borders in Canada uh, between provinces are quite restrictive. We, you know, um, we've just been hunkering down at home. So things are starting to open up a little bit now. But these are crazy days. <laughs> yeah, so you, you, you've just got back from seeing family, haven't you? I have. Yeah. So uh, I'm in Nova Scotia. So I'm on the east coast of Canada. And my family is uh, is in New Brunswick. So very close by one province away. But I wasn't able to visit them for about four months because the border was closed between Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. Um, but they have just opened that up. We have very few cases, thankfully, of, of COVID-19. So they have opened up the border for travel. But um it was still, you know, like we still are doing distancing and that sort of thing. I had to show my license and give a form to say where I was going to be staying when I traveled to New Brunswick. It was quite strict, but yeah. I mean, it's it's necessary, I think, in these crazy days. See, in the UK, we've got this track and trace program, but we've not really factored in for the people of the UK's reluctance to follow orders and instructions. So, I mean, if you go to a pub in the UK, you need to give your name and address and a telephone number yes. for, on a form. And you just know that in the UK, it's going to be full of Daffy Ducks and Mickey Mouses. Really? Oh, absolutely. There's what people in the UK are like. Uh, I will say that, uh, so we do the same. When I go out to eat at a restaurant, they take my name and number for contact tracing. Um, but I have found that Canadians, not all, of course, but Canadians more often than not are rule followers. Yeah. We will, you know, <laughs> we do what we're told. <laughs> um, well, yeah, that's uh, so that's really all that's going on with me back from a nice uh, a nice trip to see family and enjoying drag race every chance I get. I'm also watching All Stars yeah. um, right now, which I am enjoying. The Shea Show. Let's just call it the Shea Show. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Shea's going to win. It's going to come think? down to Shea and Jujube, and I think Shea's going to win. I am Team Juju. I'm absolutely I love Team Juju, Juju, but I think Shay's going to win. Yeah. I, 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 I think, mean, yeah, that Shay's snatch win. game. That snatch game. That was something else. I sensually walk over to the thermostat. <laughs> to the thermostat. <laughs> and turn it up to a sensible 74. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I that's cried kind with of laughter. It. Yes. 
Yeah, I did. I loved it so much. And I mean, although she is not my favorite personally, I can't remember her name. Um, Bless she Claire. also did well in, sorry? Bless St. Clair? No, although Blair has a bit of an attitude this season. She does. Yes, she has gained some confidence. <laughs> Some Since personality. the last time she came. Personality. Yes, she is beautiful, though. Um, but uh, Alexis Mateo. Alexis Mateo. Bam! She was, yeah, bam! She. Uh, so she's a little bit shady this season when it right. comes to, um, you know, how she is strategizing. So who was lying, India or Alexis? Alexis, I think. I think India was lying. You're kidding. I think I think that Alexis um Alexis said something to the effect of are we going to do this? I think that that part was true. And then I think India may may have spun that to to be more damning than that's it actually was. That's what I think has happened. Yeah. But that's why I think yeah. India was lying. I think India has exaggerated what happened. Like, oh, it was this massive plan and it was I think it was just like we could, we've got a chance to get rid of Shay here. Yes. I think that might have been what it was because they still Shay as huge competition, which she is. Right. But I mean, I I don't like that type of strategizing personally. I think that the queen who performed um, you know, less the 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 like lowest performer should go home. And I don't like the strategizing that we get out a top performer because they happen to be in the bottom. I think report card is the way that they should judge. I and agree. most of the time they do. But I think that it was the stuff with Cracker, I think, you know, uh there was some drama with Cracker earlier in the season where there was uh some stuff going on between Alexis Mateo and Blair St. Clair and um who else? I can't remember. But yeah, Cracker was getting a villain edit, as it's often called. I know. And I don't believe that Cracker is a villain. I do no. think that, I mean, like, and so Alexis Mateo was involved in both. That makes me feel like, I feel like she has a little bit of shady dealings going on behind the scenes. She's but a pageant you, queen. A bit shady. Yes. Yeah, a bit shady. But you cannot argue with her snap with her uh, Snatch Game. She did great. And that was great timing for that Walter Mercado documentary on Netflix. Oh, I didn't even see it. Yeah, there's literally two days after that episode came out or something like that there's now a documentary called mucho mucho more all about walter mercado and we watched it last night it was really good oh wow i will have to check that out so uh listeners if you are fans of drag race as we are i feel like this might be an ongoing sort of like post podcast discussion since chris and i are both uh, are both big fans so <laughs> if you want to um if you want to you know catch up with with our thoughts on drag race stay tuned at the end of each podcast because i imagine we'll probably be chatting definitely until the end of your current series <laughs> yeah exactly well chris this has been so much fun to chat and i'm looking forward to like getting into our first actual eurovision in two weeks time yeah. um but in the meantime talking about the movie that uh that started it all for me at least this was great yeah so just as a reminder, next time we'll be covering the 2014 contest. And I okay. can't wait. Can't wait. Okay, guys. Chat with you then. Thank Bye. you, Chris. Bye. La, 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 la,